0: Uh, but a decent amount of things to get to tonight as we have uh, frequently past couple of months uh, Going to do a pretty thorough review of, of recruiting, bring you up to date on new offers Have a uh, Not a new sponsor, but a very exciting, exciting sponsor announcement to get to uh, Legitimately really excited, and encouraged, and we'll only continue to push the Noelcast further And uh, have an awful lot of listener questions that we will get to as always, the Nullcast brought to you by Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor of the Nullcast. and uh, with that, we'll jump into it. Yeah, man, I'm excited about tonight's show. Uh, so, obviously,
1: we we don't like starting with with, with COVID talk, uh, but that, that's kind of the overwhelming thing going on in the country right now. I don't know if, you, if you've noticed, uh, so we, we do like to try to keep it real with, with our listeners and let them know kind of how different developments out there might impact the season. Uh, everybody we talk to still thinks that, uh, or at least everybody I talk to, still thinks they're going to play football in the fall. You know, at, at the same time, like I know you and I have talked about like, what do we do if uh, if there's no football in the fall content wise? And, and we have some really creative ideas, which we're not going to share right now, but at least we're trying to be smart about it. Uh, just some things we've noticed recently, uh, some high schools have been shutting down uh, for, for fall and say, hey, we'll, we'll go ahead and revisit this and play in, uh, in January. Uh, I know, uh, some of the counties around Dallas said no more high school workouts right now after a lot of their kids tested positive uh, and just thought it was too dangerous because obviously Texas is a state that's uh, spiking. We, we've seen some cancellations out there. Uh, we know FSU continues to test regularly. I don't think we've seen any new updates from them as far as how many kids uh, have, have come down with with positive tests. Uh, and then we've seen some kind of ridiculous talk from folks out there. So where where do, where do you want to start with this?
0: I think it's, uh, it's critical to say, like, we don't want to spend a lot of time on it. In order for this podcast to be a decent product, you and I have to enjoy the conversation that we engage in. And I promise you, we do not want to engage in 25 minutes of COVID talk. The high school shutting down, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. We'll see how much that bleeds into other areas. Kind of similar for D3 cancellation. So uh, you saw a venerable institution that is Morehouse uh, cancel football. Uh, the college that my dad went to in uh, in Massachusetts, Williams College, is has uh, canceled sports. I actually talked to i uh, I've talked to a lot of athletic directors over the past uh, week or so, but I talked to Hampton Sydney's athletic director. Uh, Hampton Sydney's a D three school that had the largest attendance uh, numbers in the country. So go Hampton Sydney, a school that takes their football serious. They have real concerns about getting ball in this spring, but like you said, where we left it last week is that everybody that you talked to, kind of they kind of plan on playing, and that I personally was starting to get real worried about whether or not we were going to play in the fall. I don't think that's changed, and I don't want to sit here and uh, bang you guys over the head for, for 30 minutes every podcast about how that's not going to happen or will happen or whatever. So I do want to spend a couple minutes on the idea that like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Isn't it so cool that Clemson's getting herd immunity or whatever? Like, that's just asinine talk. Ridiculous. Uh, you, obviously, you've seen the same thing with, with Bama or whatever. else. I can promise you that in most of these kids' instances, it will be meaningless. I mean, it will, they will recover, and two weeks later, they'll be back. But nobody wants to intentionally get COVID. I mean, it is a, I almost used some strong profanity there, but it is a ludicrous idea this just incredibly tone deaf and wildly disconnected from reality to, uh, you know, be 55 years old sitting in an office and then joke about the fact that some team's trying to, trying to race to a point of herd immunity. And, and
1: like, you know, man, it doesn't even bother me if people joke about it as much as like, there are people who seriously believe that, like, it's great that if, if Clemson's players go get herd immunity, I'm like, dude, we really don't know enough about this virus yet to know about the long term effects. You know, like that's, Anyway, that 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 to me is is kind of silly. I've actually seen that a lot on social media. It's like, "Oh, I wish all, all the kids for the team I root for could just get it and get it over with." I mean, it's not chickenpox. Like or maybe it will end up being chickenpox like, like as far as long-term effects, but we don't know that
0: yet. So anyway, that's that's kind of silly. When you see stories like like Rudy Gobert still fighting the impacts of having COVID 4 months later or 3 months later, I mean, that gives you an idea the NBA player, just for people who don't know that is, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy, the the single most influential character in COVID athletics, uh, I would say. I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it a ton. Uh, it's just something that uh, we'll go ahead and go ahead and kiss the frog, so to say, and, and get it over with, and, and pivot into more uh, enjoyable facets of the Nullcast, Hopefully, also, I when I did the whole intro about uh, what we'll be talking about. We're actually going to try something that I think is brand new. We're going to basically have Bud review uh, Luke Altmaier's, some of his performances from the Elite 11 camp, if he goes on during this uh, recruiting period. So we'll get some live feedback on that. Uh, I think that'll be fascinating, awesome to hear. And hopefully that's something that we will be able to uh, provide you, the listener at some point in the process of this podcast.
1: Very very cool that Luke Luke, uh, Luke got invited. I think somebody had to pull out, obviously a lot of people concerned over, over travel stuff. Obviously we're not able to be there because CBS hasn't approved anybody uh, for travel to uh, camps and combines yet um, oh, I, I did get to go to one two weeks ago before that was kind of made real clear and uh, anyway uh, w- one thing I wanted to point out is like when we start to see some of these d two and FCS schools canceling their season i I do think we're gonna get to a point to where some some d1 schools also pull out right i I and you know, that's going to really hurt their their budgets, but at the same time, like I don't know if they can afford to you know do the testing and do the testing properly. And if that happens, like the fact that college football is a business is going to be in very clear relief. You know, it's like wait, why are you guys doing this when all these other teams are are not like? Or if you have like some some you know, sports at schools deciding to play in the fall, like sports to make money, and then some you know schools deciding not to play. But that's, that's a topic for another day. I don't really want to go down that road too much until it actually happens.
0: One other uh, tidbit I'll throw in that's uh, tied to COVID talk, but not necessarily the um, you know the X's and O's of the disease, if such a thing exists. Um, I talked to an associate athletic director in the SEC this week who had a kind of an interesting comment. And I haven't seen this anywhere else, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of traction to this. And uh, he said there was some internal talk, and I think this is more a a reflection of the fact that these schools will do anything possible to get football played, Uh, and I mean anything possible, Uh, that there was some talk about having the games this year played, the SEC would have two, uh, basically two games or two time slots, and it would be like 1130 and three, Uh, and that they would try to get their games in during the day, there's some decent evidence, like you said, everything with COVID is true you know, uh, today and 10 days later is proven different. Uh, but there's a decent amount of evidence that uh, being out in the sun is a significant uh, significant governor on transmission and, and very much limits it. So and this particular associate athletic director more or less dismissed the idea of fans being in the stands and was very pessimistic on the idea of night games being played in general. So just something I thought I'd share with our, our general listening audience. I mean that, that that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, you
1: you put a name here on on our, our podcast rundown sheet, and I, I want to hear you chat about this a little
0: bit. And the name is Imani Bates, and I don't I don't know if that's a name that a lot of people know about. So I'm certainly not suggesting that Florida State is somehow involved in one of the more talented basketball prospects that uh, we've seen over the last twenty years, but I uh, did want to add his name to the sheet. Uh, this is a kid, and and look, expressions like this have. Tons of hyperbole uh, on them, and they're made way too easily. Except with this kid, I think it may be true. This may be the most talented kid since LeBron James has come out. It'll be a decent litmus test when it comes to the image rights. I mean, this is a kid who, in any other situation, would probably never play college basketball. And in, in all likelihood, will probably not play college basketball. But there's a chance that that kid could sign a $100 million shoe deal and be making something like, $600 $600 million as a college athlete, which is something we've never seen. Maybe it would be a situation where he would be lured into participating in college where he wouldn't otherwise. And it'll also be a decent idea as to, again, this kid is the elite of the elite sport. So I don't want to extrapolate this as to what you know every starting tight end is going to get or running back or whatever. But it'll be a decent idea as to what the top end of the earning potential of a college athlete is when it comes to selling the image and likeness.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, 600 K is, is really interesting. I, he is a, a really special talent and you know, I, I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see like, is how good you are at the game going to be perfectly correlated to how, you know, how well you do endorsement wise. I think the basketball guys will largely make more money than the football guys because that they, they get to play, you know, 40 times a year as opposed to just 12 and when they do and you only got to sign one or two right and your helmet is off because you don't wear one mm, in basketball right. and yeah. football like we don't really know what these guys look like you know like you have to be really good at football to, to get national endorsements you know a, a lot of your best defensive players and, and and linemen don't give it very many endorsements uh playing football so that, that will be interesting anger i'm glad you put that on there. that's a cool uh that's a, that's a cool test case. Uh, before we get to Florida State recruiting, I do have one thing that sort of, uh, not an apology, but a little correction I need to make. Uh, a couple of months ago, I listed out the games that I thought Florida State would probably have real trouble uh, blocking their opponent. And, and one team I didn't put on there just because in my mind, I didn't think these guys were coming back. And then I, I went to do some more research this week and realized that they, they are coming back. And, and that's Pitt. Uh, in fact, Pitt might have the best defensive line that Forest State has to play all year. They've got three guys who are projected to be uh, very high draft picks. They're probably going to be on that level of like Miami or, or Clemson defensive line wise. And so that's, uh, that's a name of, of, a, of a team we definitely need to be watching out for. Now their offense last year was, was horrid, right? I mean, we were talking about, I think they were like 109th in offensive SP plus. So. Yeah, Florida State may not be able to block them in that game, but I don't know that Pitt's going to be able to score a whole lot in, in that ball game either. Uh, but because I didn't list them on there, it just—I don't know. You ever have a, ever have a mental block, and you're just like, damn, man, I I, I can't. I, I didn't realize that was going on, and, and I should have. Uh, so I want to issue a, a kind of a mea culpa there. Uh, Pitt definitely needs to be in that conversation uh, for for teams you might have trouble blocking.
0: I think our listeners will attest to the fact that I've uh, never had a mental block nor struggled for choice affords or anything else. So, uh, nope, don't know how you feel, bud. I don't. Uh, so, we'll get into some Florida State recruiting-focused conversation here. But I uh, want to thank the good people at Madison Social and for the Table Restaurant Group. And uh, thrilled that they've been able to reopen. And we've talked about the open-air dining that they have and takeaway. Just want to stress the fact that Every restaurant is going to have a hell of a challenge over the next two months, four months, six months here. Uh, it is going to be, you're going to see massive chains fail. Uh, you're going to see independent restaurants struggle. Uh, just would encourage you to uh, give those guys a, as much attention and, and revenue as possible and, and just be mindful of, uh, of really kind of all restaurants out there. But uh, Matt and his team have been with us since day one. Uh, they were instrumental in us kind of Hatching the idea of the Knollcast being able to pivot to it in the manner that we did, I guess five years ago, and they are again the term I use—they have their finger on the on the pulse of being a Florida State athletic supporter in a manner that I don't think is replicated from a Florida State perspective, and I really don't think is replicated anywhere else around the country. So, great people—they need all all the support and all the help that they can get. And We ask that you please keep them in mind.
1: Absolutely, great guys, and, and, and Matt. You guys are going to get through this, and and, and we're very happy that, that our audience is able to support you. And the way that they do, we thank you all for supporting us. So let, let's go ahead and get uh, get some recruiting talk here. Uh, some important offers have gone out since we last podcasted. Uh, the first uh, offensive tackle. Let, let's let's get a siren or something going on here. An offensive tackle uh, alert has gone out. Florida State did go ahead and offer uh, Ruquan Buckley. Uh, this is one we can kind of take a victory lap for, for saying that they should offer. We, we we've been saying this for. Probably about two months, right? Uh, or maybe since March, I, I think. So maybe three months, but, uh, Ruquan Buckley, offensive tackle out of Detroit. We have previously discussed on this show, you know, what we think Floor State is looking for in an offensive tackle. And they're okay if the floor is low right now because they think they have enough floor prospects at their offensive tackle, right? You, you got, uh, the kid out, out of Venice, uh, last year in, in Trader. You, you got, you got the kid out of Arkansas. And then you also have Lloyd Willis, who's more of a projection in the last class. Uh, and so for this class, like Florida State thinks it's going to kill it in, in, in 2022 recruiting. I, I I know the staff feels that way. Now, we'll see how this Corona stuff changes their, their opinion on that if it does. But what they don't want to do, just to reiterate, if you guys are first-time listeners of the show, and, and it's possible you are, you might have missed an episode where we talked about this. So I'll, I'll go over it again. What, what Florida State does not want to do is take a high-floor guy... Who they feel like if they're actually able to sign a stud in 22, that that stud will just come in and immediately beat, beat their high floor kid out. And then they got to eat the, 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 you know, the Jags, Jag, meaning just a guy, JAG. They got to eat this Jag scholarship for three or four years and and it it sucks up a roster spot on their team for a guy who's never going to play. They would rather go home run strikeout at the offensive tackle position this year, from what I understand, because they want to take a kid who is not yeah, they have to develop them, but that's their job to develop him. But like, if, if they do their job developing him, they want him to be a kid who, whoever four state signs in that 22 class, that like the 22 kid doesn't just immediately jump him. And I think Buckley is a prospect who kind of fits that mold. He, he is raw. He's not a great football player yet, but he, he is, uh, you know, lean, athletic, somebody you're going to have to put weight on, um, and, and hope that he has the work ethic to, to put that weight on. But a guy I know that Florida state has liked for a while and uh and, and certainly somebody uh, to watch here I, I know coach Atkins and him have spoken uh, quite a bit
0: big kind of lanky kid out of the uh out of Michigan for those who aren't immediately familiar Grand Rapids 66 265 or so has some really impressive defensive tape I don't think he's a defensive player at all uh, I just mentioned that because it gives me optimism for the kind of the athleticism that you have with which to build around uh his tape is solid uh there's some nice moments where he gets kids on skates and and washes them out of the play he's, he's a talented player with a really serious upside so uh would be great to see florida state get traction here signing off its tackle would be five siren worthy or whatever uh you know moniker you want to put on it but uh florida state went ahead and made it official and uh we'll we'll continue to watch buckley's uh, recruitment process any kind of Update Bud in general as to where they stand with Rod Award or has anything changed with that recruitment while we're, while we're talking about offensive tackles?
1: The only thing we really need to care about here from a Rod Award Florida State perspective is has Auburn offered or has, has Tennessee offered, has Alabama offered, right? He, he's, he's an SEC type kid. He does have a good relationship with, with, with Coach Atkins. He grew up as an, as an Auburn fan and he lives very close to Auburn. If Auburn offers this kid, I think it's a wrap. I think he'll go to Auburn. If they don't, then Florida State could be the beneficiary and, and get a guy who's pretty damn good. And 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 you know, probably they're uh they're they're offering the guy early and, and being on him early, uh, you know, would probably be you know be would would pay off for them. I do think that Auburn probably has the ability to come in later on in the process, and I don't know how much later. So don't don't go saying, hey, Bud said it doesn't matter. You know, Auburn could offer it at the eleventh hour and uh, and still get him. I don't know that that's true, but like I think if Auburn comes through with an offer in the next month or two, the, the chance that they are able to pull him is still very high, right? Especially because you know, he hasn't really had opportunities to visit Florida State and see the campus and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we are with that right now. Florida State continues to communicate with Orr, and I know he still talks to Auburn, but they've not offered him. So I don't know why that is. Uh, I I think Orr is a pretty good prospect, and so does Florida State, obviously. So. That's kind of where we are with that right now.
0: Another prospect that was recently offered is uh, Landon Watson, a defensive end out of uh, Texas, Hutto, Texas. Going to spend a, a couple minutes talking about a couple kids that could all project to uh, to what they call it, the Fox position bud here, kind of an offensive line, or not an offensive line, outside linebacker, defensive end hybrid. Uh, and Watson is kind of very much in that mold. 6'3", 235, that's what 247 has enlisted as. Um, and a, another prospect from, from Texas that Florida State's gotten involved in. Arkansas, uh, Virginia Tech, Arizona State seem to be the, the major players in his recruitment up until now.
1: Yeah, so I, I think Florida State jumping in there. I, he has a whole lot of uh, crystal balls right now to Virginia Tech. Um, of course, they're not real solid crystal balls at this point. We have a confidence score uh, of one on a 1-10 to 10 scale from Gabe Brooks, who, who is our guy in Texas. Uh, and Steve Wiltfong, who's our national expert, he also has a confidence score uh, of one. Um, so, you know, I I think for a couple months, Virginia Tech really had had an excellent pipeline going to the state of Texas, and that seemed to have backed off as they've had a couple of commitments already uh, from the state of Texas, including uh, quarterback Demetrius Davis, who then later uh, a couple weeks later flipped uh, to Auburn, but. Watson's a guy. He does have some explosiveness, but, but he also has a, a pretty nice build. I, I've not seen him in person, so I'm not able to verify that the 6'3", 235. Uh, I think for the Fox position, Florida State clearly likes like some of the quickness that, that he has. That, that is that kind of hybrid position. Like you said, with, with the outside backer, defensive end role, it's kind of like your stand up end position. If you really want to think of it as something, it, it's not a position that's going to cover a whole lot. I mean, it, it'll cover some, uh, but, I mean, Four State is doing, or well, they're trying to do a better job uh, in some of the places where their coaches were at, because clearly they, they don't know a whole lot about the, the players in the state of Florida yet. They have not had a chance to get out and meet them. And I think increasingly the chance that they're not able to get out and meet them at all for this class uh, is, I think that chance is growing, right? And I don't know that chance is that much, is that related to whether we have college football in the fall, I think it's related to like, are we going to have high school football in the fall? We're going to have, are we going ha- to have recruiting trips and visits opening up in the fall? But Landon Watson here, our, our kid out of Texas, who we're talking about, he looks pretty good on his huddle. We actually have him as an 87 uh, on, on 24/7 Sports, uh, which is higher than, than his um, than his, you know score at some places, but it, it's roughly roughly equal to what his composite is, uh, a top 100 type player in the state of Texas and. Uh, other than that, I don't really know a whole lot about Watson. This offer literally came down like an hour before we, we, uh, we, we recorded. but, uh, but we do want to mention it on the show, obviously.
0: Another offer that I, I believe uh, came down maybe two days ago yesterday was uh, Thomas Davis a prospect out of uh, Lowndes County, certainly a, a high school that uh, Florida State fans will be very familiar with. Uh, again, another Fox uh, type player is uh, looking at him. I'd, I think he's more of an outside linebacker. His tape is is him playing defensive end. Impressive kid to an extent. I don't want to make him more than he is, but Florida State with the offer. Announcing in August, so we should have a decent idea as to where he's going. And, and by all accounts, he's probably going to commit to Miami. I do take something away from the fact that while this staff is somewhat new to the area, uh, many of them, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get familiar with with the Lowndes County <laughs> roster. If you're coaching at Florida State, I think if they were blown away by him, that you probably would have seen an offer a little bit earlier. But uh, nonetheless, an offer comes—a player that I'm impressed with, but I don't know that uh, we'll be talking about him a whole lot, as I'm, I'm not sure Florida State's a major player at least at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with with, with all that. I, I actually had a chance to see Davis uh, recently at this camp, and. I thought he was good. He to me, he did not pop as somebody who Florida State, like no doubt, had to offer. And and just, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, like we were having conversations with people there, and and uh, some of those conversations were like, "Do you think Miami will take him?" Right? It, I mean, I'm just being very honest here. Like, I, I think Davis is a good player. I think if Lowndes had a guy who Florida State evaluated as a no doubt type player, like a guy they would absolutely take. You know, and, and he's like a clear stud. They would offered him probably a while ago. You know that there is some danger. Remember how we talked about with Langlo at at uh, um, the, the the offensive lineman who's committed to Auburn about how like if you offer a local type kid who you're not really sure on, and then the kid wants to commit, what do you do? You know, like like do, do you tell him no then and kind of screw up the relationship with him? So I I don't know. Like I, I think Davis is a good player. I do. Kind of wonder if he has the ability to flip his hips enough to to cover. To me, he is more of a straight line type guy. Um, And at the same time, I don't know that he's actually six four. You know, I I I could probably get the measurements from from the camp, but and looking at him, like he didn't pop to me as somebody who was like clearly like like you know a six four dude uh, like he's listed
0: at on his profile. I think you guys have him at six two and a half.
1: I mean that's that seems more accurate. Yeah, than than you know what I've seen elsewhere. Ingram, I think he's a good player. I think he's actually probably a really good high school player. I don't know if he projects as well to college as he is in high school. And maybe I'll be wrong about that. There is a kid at Lounge, by the way, I love. A dude named Hunter. And I asked him, I was like, are you related to a dude named Tyler Hunter? You know, same high school, um, you know, same town. He's like, no, I never heard of him. I was like, huh. man, I feel old. I think it's Deontay or Deontre. If I got to recall, pull up my spreadsheet. but. uh Yeah, so they offered Davis. Clearly, like they're they're wanting to add another player at that fox position, right? And in my mind, they already have one in Jennings. Now, sometimes when you recruit kids, you got to recruit them at the position they want to play. But personally, I don't think Jennings has the hips to play linebacker at Florida State. I think he's going to be a fox. I think he's going to be a damn good one. You know, we'll kind of see what happens there. But they they need to get a uh, they need to get another uh, another guy to, to play the fox role for sure.
0: Next prospect uh, that will, well, that's that's who we had. We were going to talk a little bit about Altmeyer. Still hasn't gone. Yeah, I've got the live feed up. Uh, Altmeyer
1: did not make the top 11 on day one of the Elite 11 rankings. Um, I will say the, day, the the Elite 11 rankings day one are a mixture of uh, the high school tape they evaluated and then what the kid did on day one. So, uh, it, it, they kind of blend it throughout the week. Uh, I'll also say I really don't necessarily care all that much about what Elite 11 rankings say. Uh, I, I don't know that uh, the Elite 11 rankings have actually translated. Uh, I I, have, I don't think they're actually all that correlated to college or, or pro success really at all. I mean, there's probably some, right? Like there's some kids that they get there who just don't belong and, and they will rate them lower. Uh, the comments that, that I, I saw coming out of, of uh, day one are, kind of reflect what we think about Altmaier, right? Probably, probably, Probably think he's pretty good. Very accurate, you know, quick release on on the short intermediate stuff doesn't have a a big arm, you know, like does not have elite physical tools is not very big. We'll see how much he continues to develop physically, but, uh, based on the comments I've seen off day one, I I don't think there's any kind of, uh, any reason to believe that this is like a five star in skies. I think he's probably a pretty good player and I'm excited to, uh, excited to watch him tonight if he comes on we'll have to break into the action uh for sure and i know look florida state's extremely excited to have him obviously and you know the day one rankings uh, we'll we'll see I, I'm, I'm interested to see tonight
0: let's not get too absorbed in that like you said uh really quality prospect i think he's a four-star player i think he'll end up as one four-star prospect florida state will have to fight to keep him and be thrilled if they sign him wouldn't cloud it too much now look i don't think the kid's an idiot
1: right like i mean he's probably pretty smart they signed Bryce Young last year. Luke Altmeyer can't hold Bryce Young's jock. Let's, let's be completely real about this.
0: If he goes to Bama, he's not playing. I wasn't so much talking about Bama. I just mean in general. Profile is only going to grow, I think. Uh, right. I would agree with that.
1: Sometimes, like Barton Simmons wrote a good article about this the other day, by the way, about how, how tough it is to sign a stud after you just signed a stud. Like for purposes of this conversation, you and I are having, let's just go ahead and, and call Altmaier a stud. I, I don't, I don't think his ranking will end up that high, but they just signed Bryce Young, who's one of the highest rated quarterbacks we've ever had. The chance that Altmaier beats him out is, is not zero, but it's pretty damn close. If you go there, you know, you're not playing for quite a while unless Young gets hurt or, or, you know, gets homesick or something like that. Anyway, just something to, uh, to think about there. All right, Andrew, now speaking of commitments, uh, we're really excited to announce here that we have a new commitment to talk about, and that is legendary home loans. As you've known, I did my mortgage through Shannon Young. I did my refi through Shannon Young. So when Shannon and Chad called me and said, hey, we're rebranding. We're now legendary home loans. We've got our own deal. We have the ability to get to get funding from you through even more sources to give Nolcast listeners even more options. I said, let's let's do it. And they've signed on for a multi-year commitment to sponsor the show, which is cool. All the same options still available and more for y'all. Now, this is something really uh, everybody should be very excited. I think they have a, a great opportunity to help an, an even like wider base of Noel listeners. Get with Shannon. 844 FSU loan. It's 844 FSU loan. Can't go wrong. Uh, what are we up to 60 now? I, I think we, we closed our first one today. I'm, I'm sending their shirts out. Uh, we're going to keep that count going because, you know, whether you're under the old name, or the new name with Legendary. It's really about the people. And that's what I told Shannon and Chad today on the phone. I said, look, people want to deal with you, man. They know you treated me well. They know you treated all the other listeners well. I mean, hell, people even talk about how good their experiences are with them in our, our iTunes reviews. All right. Yeah, that's incredible. Incredible. They're part of our show and we really appreciate it. So 844-FSU-LOAN, whether you need a home loan or refi, or we don't really like to talk about this, but like, if you need to use some home, some of the equity in your home to get you through this difficult time of COVID, uh, sure beats the heck out of, out of using high interest rate credit cards. So, uh, give them a call, 844-Ipsue Loan. And, uh, with that, let, let's get into our, our first, uh, listener question of the night. Cause I, I think it's interesting and it, it kind of dovetails into some discussions that, uh, that have been going on on social media. And this is from Darren and, and he, uh, he asked us, said, Hey, who is the best quarterback Mike Norvell has signed and developed out of high school? And, and I thought about it, and I was like, "Man, I, am I wrong to trust my, that Mike Norvell can sign and develop a QB out of high school?" Like I assume, because I, I like what I've seen out of Altmyer so far at the high school level, that he has a pretty good eye for quarterback talent. But he didn't play quarterback in high school or in, in college, rather, and he really hasn't been a quarterback guy for very long. He was primarily a receivers coach. So I went back and looked, uh, and so I went back and looked at at the time. Since he was uh, at least like like a, a coordinator uh, level uh, at, at at a place, or at least an assistant like passing game type coordinator. So starting here in 2012 uh, at Arizona State, their quarterback uh, that they had from 2012 to 2014 was a kid named Taylor Kelly. Taylor Kelly uh, was already on the roster. Mike Ber- Berkovici came 2015. Again, he was actually already on the roster uh, when uh, when Norvell. Uh, got there as well. He was a 2010 signee, uh, Riley, and, and so really at Arizona State, like nobody that Norvell signed ended up starting for him. Now that's not really a knock on on who he signed. I mean, he signed some guys who ended up having okay to, to decent careers, uh, but just uh, I thought that was that was an interesting thing to look at. Now check this out: Riley Ferguson, when he gets to Memphis, is his QB in 2016, 2017, Tennessee transfer. So again, another transfer. And then the last two years at Memphis, Brady White, who was an Arizona state transfer. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Brady White's had fairly decent numbers for Memphis. I'm actually from my old podcast podcast, podcast, ain't played nobody back when I was at Espionation. I really wasn't a big fan of Brady White. In fact, I think the players around him and the coaching kind of make him better than he is, which is probably, you know, plus one for Norvell. I, I don't think the kids all that talented. Uh, although he does put up some good numbers, but anyway, uh, this actually counts. I think. Like, or, or sh- should we count this? Because I, I think we probably should.
0: It's the closest thing we have to being able to count one. Uh, we'll we'll certainly put it that way. So Norvell signed signed Brady White at Arizona State, goes to Memphis,
1: and then Brady White transfers to Memphis a couple of years later. I I think that should count, man. The idea that Norvell knows how to pick quarterbacks out of high school is is not really all that supported by his track record of doing so. In fact, I think the best veteran in his cap so far might be the fact that you know they were on Altmire before Altmire's ranking shot up on any of the ranking services, before 24-7 or, or the other two uh, gave him his bumps at all. Anyway, it's just something to watch here. I think it's a, it's an interesting question from Darren, and I'm, I'm glad he posed it. I wanted to include that because it was kind of more of a, a recruiting question there. We also have another recruiting question uh, tonight from Blaze. And Blaze is a new Patreon member of ours, patreon.com slash nolcast. And, and he sent us a whole bunch of questions. Obviously, we cannot get to every single question. But, man, Blaze came out blazing, basically, dude. Just just came out like a house of fire, uh, ready to ask some questions. So why don't you uh, why don't you give us Blaze's first one here?
0: Man, I thought this was a, a really great idea uh, from him. I don't know that we can do it every show, but I would like for this to maybe be in every other show feature. Um his question is, how would y'all feel about a feature uh, where you both choose a player, in your opinion, who is unknown or perhaps slightly unknown, uh, but their film stands out to you? Uh, and in your opinion, they might be able to uh, be, you know, a later offer for Florida State. Uh, I know y'all did that with the O-Line segment a few episodes, and I really enjoyed it. So, uh, Blaze, I will, uh, but now I will put this on the sheet. And like I said, it may not be every show, it may be every other show where we kind of look and see if there's not a, an off-the-radar or... A prospect that might be a secondary option, uh, but a great question. And we'll give you we'll give you two names here.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm gonna lead off, and there's a kid named Deontay Anderson. I've actually spoken about him, I think, a little bit before on the show. Uh, but he, he's a, he's a pass rusher out, out of Fort Meade, uh, and I'm not gonna lie. Like I've had multiple coaches from different schools ask me, like, "Hey, have you seen this kid in person? Because we we like his film. What what's going on?" Like he does, why doesn't he have the offers that you, know, you, you might think he should have? And I, I haven't checked his offer list recently, but the kid's film does look pretty good. Now he plays for Fort Meade. They don't play like the best competition out there, but he shows some explosiveness off the edge. He shows bend off the edge, uh, and, and I, in my opinion, shows more bend looking at him than than like the Thomas Davis guy does, and, and a little bit more explosiveness. Um, You know, I'll read you the scouting report from Andrew Ivins on the guy. He's also a basketball guy. He he had all-county honorable mention uh, as a junior. Now, look, I mean, all-county honorable mention basketball in Fort Meade is really not very good, but at least he's playing another sport. I mean, like, you know, come on. Honorable mention, all-county. All right. A long-limb frame with impressive reach on the lighter side due to basketball background, but should be able to tackle on the pounds once working with the college strength coach. One of the more uh, imposing pass rushers in the Sunshine State this cycle give an explosive first step and ability to bend. Launches out of his stance and doesn't give his target much time to escape. Uh, Effective with his hands. Hasn't really been asked to cover much, but doubles as a tight end on offense and and is athletic enough to get open on a regular basis. Will need time to develop some more pass rushing moves uh, and get stronger across the board. Also needs to get better at breaking down and dropping ball carriers. Uh, Has the looks of a prospect who could could be a multi-year starter uh, on the defensive line. NFL upside, given his natural length and athleticism. So, I mean, this is a guy who I think his offer list really could blow up. Uh, now, recently, he's added Vatek, UCF, Nebraska, South Carolina, Cincy, Washington State, BC, Northwestern, and Indiana. Now, interestingly here, my first thought when i when i started to see the offer list and i, and I kind of saw like the lack of like the really big time offers and he had 14 sacks and 40 tackles as as a junior which is good production my first thought ingram was i wonder if this guy has an issue like i wonder if there's a grades issue here right just because okay like damn that's pretty productive he's a multi sport guy plays both sides of the ball his film looks very good i know it's not good competition but but still uh, but then I saw the Northwestern offer. I was like, man, like Northwestern, like that, that, that's a good school. They don't really, they don't really screw around with kids who, who have no grades. Um, and so I, I thought that was, that was interesting right there to think about. Then I, I thought, okay, I wonder if it's a size thing. Now I've not seen this kid in person. I don't know anybody as far as like other evaluators who have seen him at person. It was not at, at, at the UC camp that I was at, which was mostly underclassmen. Uh, two weeks ago, so man, I I wonder if a lot of schools aren't just waiting to figure out like what this kid's actual size is. You know what I mean? Like because six three two twenty five listed could be six one two ten, and there's a big difference in that, a big difference. But I, I he looks like a guy who could play the fox role for Florida State. I I think relatively easily.
0: A name that I'll throw out is Martez Thrower. Uh, Martez Thrower is out of Wilcox County. Uh, very close to uh, to Oscilla where they went and got a, got a certain defensive prospect that uh, people will remember by the name of DJ Lundy last year. Rochelle, Georgia is kind of halfway between Valdosta and Macon. If you're familiar with Cordill, Georgia, it's about 20 minutes due east. Thrower is, uh, I think he's more a true linebacker. He potentially could grow into kind of the Fox role that we talked about, but uh, outside linebacker prospect listed at 6'1", 210, uh, Kentucky and Arkansas are the main process, or main schools that are with him right now. I think Kentucky is uh, kind of the the odds-on favorite at this point. Uh, but that is a player that I could see Florida State getting involved with. I think they have some uh, some loose contact with him so far. Doesn't play uh, against great competition. He plays in uh, Class A, uh, the, the lowest classification in Georgia. Uh, but uh, an impressive prospect who I think has a a decent ceiling and uh, somebody to to keep an eye on and, and maybe a prospect that Florida State would get involved later in the in the recruiting process with.
1: I think it's an interesting name, man. I, I'm glad I'm glad you brought him up. We'll have to see what Florida State's linebacker board you know looks like. Obviously, they already have uh, the one kid out, out, out of Texas who, who they got. Uh, who's, I really should know this? Uh, his name slips my mind real quick. Um, but uh, Eubanks. So I. I I think this is a guy to to look at. I'm glad you brought him up because you've always been very good at at, at some of these smaller town Georgia kids. And and just, I I know you kind of nerd out on this stuff, man, just, just looking at it and, and you're, you're into it. So that's, that's cool. And I, I like this segment idea. You know, I don't like, to me, I think this segment's a cool thing that we should leave on the outline. And just if we, if we come across a kid, let's, let's bring it up. You know, there won't necessarily be like another kid that Florida State kind of has, you know, on their maybe board every single week, but. If we see him we'll be sure to talk about him I think this is this is pretty neat now something that we do tell you out every week is, is Travis Johnson Travis Johnson is a board certified family law attorney one of only 280 out of more than 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida I'm one I'm not board certified in family law but Travis is Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson law firm look whether it's an uncontested divorce that you just want his help looking over or a multi-million dollar settlement look Travis can do both. He can do it all. He is based in a panhandle, but he has cases throughout the state. He will come to you, and you may not need a family law attorney right this minute, but you might need one next week and not even know it. You might need one a month from now or a year from now. That's why you should take his number down. You can get Travis, 850-435-9919. Again, you can reach Travis, 850-435-9919. It's Travis Johnson. Board certified family law attorney of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm, a proud supporter of the Noelcast. And with that, let's get back into some more listener questions. And well, hey, if you're going to ask multiple good questions, we'll we'll usually include them in the show, unless it's a really packed question I know we might limit you to one. Uh, I think Blaze asked us probably six or seven, so we, 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 I think he's in here three times tonight, including the one we just did.
0: We had a backlog of Blaze questions, uh, and we're, we're happy to get to them. Uh, so the next one here is uh well he speaks positively of the podcast and we certainly appreciate that blaze uh i was wondering if fsu is finally all in financially i know they did the renaissance campaign but will that money be used to compete at the highest level specifically recruiting uh finding creative ways of funding recruits family businesses or uh outright purchasing them more support staff Uh, And when the time comes uh, to pay top dollar to keep elite coaches on staff, kind of a broad based question there, but we'll jump into it. I don't, you know, to an extent, everybody's somewhat speculative of the financial situation um, about their boosters and how this total economic uh, uh, uncertainty could, could play out. I will say that we're, We're in for a pretty transformative 24 months for college athletics in general, in my opinion. Uh, And it'll be fascinating to see what happens. I don't want to take us back to the first couple minutes of this podcast, but you may legitimately see some schools struggle to fund sports. And uh, you may see sports dropped. You may see sports temporarily dropped. I don't think that's going to be the the case at Florida State. And I think uh, the Renaissance campaign was something that was uh, participated in at a level to Take conversations like that off the table, uh, but it'll be fascinating to see. Now, as far as being like all in on the recruiting front, let's separate that from the Renaissance campaign because that's 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 not <laughs> just because you have active boosters on one front doesn't mean that those same people are uh, are you know paying to get you an outside linebacker or whatever else. So uh, we're not merging or we're not blending those waters uh, per se. But I, I certainly think that Florida State has had a Strong wake-up call, and uh, the idea that you can't do football on the cheap, or that you can't, you know, hire a guy that you think is going to be uh, a fantastic recruiter, and then not also support with a real strong support uh, financially. So, I think I think the lesson has been learned there. Uh, Florida State's financial troubles are what they are. Doesn't mean that uh, football has a blank check, but the idea that uh, you know we're going to save. $18,000 because we're not going to give kids bottled water or Powerade or stuff like that, uh, I think has been taken off the table and, and maybe some lessons learned about how to go about Duke going through something like that.
1: I, I would agree. As to the, like the off-the-books recruiting type stuff, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think those relationships have all been formed at this point. I mean, this is still kind of a new, a new era. The staff doesn't even have relationships with the players yet. Like uh, how can the Bagman have relationships with the players when the staff doesn't even like know how big these kids are yet? This is just such a weird year,
0: man. And like I, I don't mean to interrupt you. The staff has to meet the people that are necessary for the other part of the equation to to take place. Now I'm not saying you got to sit there and shake hands in the coach's office or something like that, but you've got to have the ability to build relationships across the board. Some of that probably hasn't taken place at this point. Kind of
1: like rubber chicken dinner plate circuit is is not for nothing
0: over the summer. And that's not happening this year,
1: right? Like there's a lot of people who haven't been able to meet the people they need to meet yet. In in my opinion, I don't have a specific update on on the Renaissance campaign as far as a, a dollar amount. My thought is that most people who are given to that, Will probably still give to that because, like, they care about the long term future of the school. But it wouldn't surprise me if some have, have you know, delayed it uh, for sure. So that's something um, we could probably ask about. I don't know if they'll actually tell us, but uh, we we can we can inquire. Final question here comes from, or final not final question of the night because we do have a lot. But final question from Blaze here. Also, with the defensive staff, uh, do you feel they will rotate a lot and be multiple, putting players in various positions throughout the game for the best utilization? For example, Brent Venables. Uh, also, on that note, the way the entire Clemson staff went to Iowa State to learn their three-two-six defense, will Mike Norvell be that open to allow his staff uh, go and do the same? Uh, if not at Iowa State, maybe another program. So, a couple questions here, uh, in, in intertwined with this. I don't really think we can know how Coach Fuller is going to handle defensive rotation. Because I I don't know that he had the same level of depth at Memphis or at Mark excuse me at Marshall uh, or Memphis that that he has at Florida State and Florida State's secondary I think there's a lot of guys who can play but but I don't have any way of knowing what he's going to do as far as defensive rotation because I I mean just to be frank here at the G five level you don't have very many guys on defense who can actually play. You know what I mean? Like, like if you got a good defense at the G5 level, and Memphis didn't, but it wasn't a terrible defense, it was kind of good by G5 standards, you're probably leaning on your starters pretty hard, man, because the backups are not good. You might hit on your starters, you're not going to have good defensive depth at the G5 level, period. Like, there's just not enough good players athletically to go around like that. So I don't really have any basis uh, for comparison here as far as what what Coach Fuller will do rotation. I, I can say that I think he will have the depth to do so at some positions and then at some positions, you better prepare to play about 800 snaps. Janarius, Josh, right? <laughs> I mean, cause I don't think they have much behind them at defensive end, but how about Renardo green? J- Jaden would be, uh, you know, H- how, Nashville Dean, national team, Cyrus Fagan, Travis J, uh, Miko Dotson, the, 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 transfer they got from FAU. If you, if you think he's going to start or, or be, you know, more than, uh, than, than, than just a bench guy. Uh, there's, hell uh Brendan Gant and probably a couple more dudes in the secondary uh hell what about Akeem Dent you know they're going to have pieces in the secondary to do that if they feel uh like that's necessary but even like even after 20, 2020 like do you think that will be enough to judge him on cuz i i don't like i, I that's not in any way close to a normal year a normal off season like they didn't get a spring they didn't get a summer you know i i don't know how to judge that
0: Even with ideal situations, I think you got to give two years. The first year is really kind of the the coach making sense of what he has, how he can use the pieces that he has. And by year two, obviously he doesn't have all his players, but he's got a much better idea as to how to fit the pieces into his system and and kind of run the philosophy of of which he chooses and which he's more familiar with. Um, I don't know Mike Norvell personally. I know enough people who've worked with him and worked around him to know that that son of a gun. All he wants to do is win. And if uh, if he thought there were lessons learned to be, you know, to go into to <laughs> to to a soccer club and learning how to play defense at a better level, then the staff would be, you know, booking tickets and, and traveling to AC Milan to try to learn uh, how to play play better defensive football. Mike Norvell will go anywhere. And send his staff anywhere if he thinks that uh, it'll give a better idea as to uh, how to go about the game. And I don't think there's any kind of pride element or anything there uh, to answer the back end of uh, Blaze's question. If there's a a certain methodology out there that he wants to be more familiar with or an idea that he thinks is cutting edge, uh, Florida State will be there and Florida State Mike Norvell will do everything possible to try to learn and take from it.
1: I completely agree with, with with what you just said there. I will also note, like Brent Venables went to Iowa State in a year in which he lost his entire defensive line, right? Like they they were wrecked as far as the defensive line. They had, they had to do things differently. He had a a a team coming back that already pretty much knew this, the existing scheme they ran, so he could go out there, he could evaluate it, he could he could say, okay, what elements of this system can we incorporate? into our system. And it turns out actually they could incorporate a lot. He's also an excellent teacher and, and has a really good defensive staff around him and, and a bunch of really smart, you know, team first guys on that Clemson team. I mean, like they, they do a really good job of, of getting talent, but also, you know, pretty good character guys there who really buy in uh, and can all sing, all sing the same tune. So yes, I think I don't have any reason to think that Mike Norvell would not let his guys do that. Like you said, do I think it would be smart to do it this year? No, not really. I think they should focus for at least a year, probably two, on getting the defensive system in that they want to run. And then, you know, if they need to tweak it and go go borrow from other places, you know, in a year or two, three, That's I think that's entirely feasible and reasonable.
0: Andy asks, are there coaching staffs that weren't ranked in the top 10 at the end of 2019 that you would want to trade places with, e.g. trading North Hill and Co. for Harbaugh or Malzahn? Uh, which assistant coach do you most likely see... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm glad he... Thank you. Which assistant coach do you most likely see us need to replace first because of a promotion? Uh, I'm glad that that's where that went rather than us uh, suggesting who was going to get fired uh, first on the staff, which is uh, always lovely conversation to have before anybody's coached a game. So, Andy, I apologize for my reaction there. I uh, I didn't see that uh, that last part of your question.
1: Okay, so... Coaching staffs not in the top 10. Are we going to go here Here with the top 10 at the, at the end of last year, just to refresh your memory? LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oregon, Florida, Oklahoma, Bama, Penn State, Minnesota. Uh, so none of those schools. So I will give you some, some coaching staffs, and you can let me know if you would trade uh, with, with any of these. And obviously, we're going to say yes to a couple of these because otherwise the question is boring. I don't think anybody thinks this is a top 10 staff in the country immediately or, well. Probably shouldn't think that. Uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Baylor, Auburn, Iowa, uh, Utah, Memphis. Hey, look at that. Uh, Michigan, App State, Navy, Cincinnati, Air Force, Boise, UCF, uh, Texas. And then I'll give you another one. Uh, Virginia also finished uh, top, uh, top 25 there in the coaches' uh, poll, The coaches' poll did not have Texas, who went 8-5. and five. I guess I'll, I'll go first here. I think Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, is a much more accomplished coach than Mike Norvell is. And I, again, I think Mike's going to do a good job at Florida State. I, I, I've, I've interviewed him. I've talked to him on the record, off the record. I think he's really sharp. Brian Kelly took his team to a national title game and has won 10-plus games at Notre Dame, a school with not a lot of talent around it, and they have to go recruit nationally. On a pretty regular basis, he wins 10-plus games. All right? With some rather difficult academic restriction. Yeah. If you're like, Hey, you can trade for Notre Dame's coaching staff. I'm probably going to do that. Okay. Like, I think, I think you're now there's some questions as to how, how well Brian Kelly would fit in Tallahassee. I'm sure. Yeah, man. Like that's a really good coaching staff there. Baylor's staff went to the Carolina Panthers. So they're not really eligible. I don't know that what Paul Chris does at Wisconsin is is replicable at Florida State, so I'm not going to say yes to that one. I think he does a hell of a job there, but I think there's some institutional stuff that really helps him out that I don't think you have at Florida State as far as organizationally. Gus Malzahn, what he does at Auburn is criminally underappreciated, I think. I mean, they are... He's beaten Nick Saban more than anybody, I'm pretty sure. They played for a national title, played a, a pretty outmatched team for a national title, and almost won the thing. If you put the towels up and and, and shut that stuff down in the second half, I think if you do, if you're being honest here, most people who don't have garnet and gold clothes on would take Auburn staff over Florida State staff.
0: And just because you pay more money doesn't mean that you have a better staff. But the the amount of resources that are invested in Auburn's staff outside of the head coach is impressive when you go and look at what those guys are getting paid. Uh, Texas is the other school on this list that immediately jumped out to me that um, I would consider trading, you know, staff for staff. Ultimately, I think there's a ton of rising stars on this staff, and I think in five years we may look back and go, "Damn, that's crazy that they had, you know, this guy, this guy, and that guy all on staff." First to leave for a promotion, Just a couple guys on offense that I think could leave relatively soon. Look, if if Florida State's offensive line has any success. Everybody in the damn nation knows how bad this unit's performed over the last three years. Uh, Atkins, when they were involved with him, I said is the rare offensive line coach who projects to possibly be a head coach. You don't really ever see that. Uh, Alex Atkins is a guy that is not a uh, you know not a secret on the on the coaching uh, circuit, and uh, that would be a guy that could immediately uh, go and and morph on the defensive side of the ball is a guy that in five years I could very easily see. Being a, a head coach somewhere; those are just two names that immediately come to mind when I look at the staff. And uh, hey, look if you if you have a big bounce back, then I know he's only coached at Memphis and and Marshall, but your defensive coordinator is going to be somebody that people pay attention to as well. Yeah, I
1: I would say Atkins and Marv for sure. First of all, Coach Atkins has has been a play caller of sorts before, right? Like he was the I think assistant OC at Charlotte. He was their run game coordinator. I think he has a lot of stuff going for him. He's also, in my opinion, a, a good recruiter. Like, I, I know he grinds a lot. Like, when I talk to kids, they're, they're always telling me, like, Coach Atkins texts me all the time. Atkins is clearly one. I also think, like, if you talk to Marv, Marv's a dude who's going to interview really well, really well. And so I, I could see him going and getting a D coordinator job somewhere in a couple of years. So I, I would say, I would say those two dudes. Um, you know, the other thing is like, Look, people love offensive whiz kids. If Florida State's offense takes off, Dillingham's going to be in fairly high demand, right? He's going to say, "Look, I, I coach. I coached for, you know, for Mike Morvell. I've got ties to the Malzon tree. He's going to be in fairly high demand if, if if Florida State's offense does well. I don't know that it will do well at, off the bat, but uh, maybe that's a reason to think this staff stays together for a while. Uh, would you take Michigan staff? Over, uh, over Florida State staff, I, I think you kind of have to, right? I mean, given their success, at not
0: only at Michigan, but also at prior stops. I have a little bit of hesitancy. I, I'm, uh, I wonder if the Har- Harbaugh Act hasn't played itself out a little bit. That, that would be my drawback of, of fully buying in there. I think that's fair. Uh, that's, uh, that's the only the only one that where we might have a disagreement.
1: You know, Sensi again, like, I think Norvell has had more success than, than Fickle's had. I wouldn't take them. Navy, obviously, it's not really a fit. Boise State, Harson again, like Mike and and, and Mike and, and Brian Harson have had similar amount of success. Uh, Air Force, you know, not not really. Man, Air Force went eleven and two last year. I don't I don't know how many, how many people were, like remember that. I, that's that's one of like the weakest eleven and twos I could possibly remember. Wonder, wonder what what they finished in bills bills uh, bills ratings. UCF, I mean, I, I think Hypel's probably a pretty good coach, but but again, no. I, I wouldn't take Bronco Mendenhall at UVA. You know, Tom Herman probably has a better resume than, than Norvell does overall, right? Like, he went to a BCS Bowl. He won it. Like, they, they've they got some serious giant killer stuff on their resume, uh, but at the same time, like, he also has kind of struggled with Texas in some ways, and you know, they had a very injury-riddled season last year, but it's also kind of you
0: know um, that's that's a bit that's a bit up in the air. He flicked off the longhorn network on a live feed, so you know yeah that's cool. there is some immaturity there I think <laughs> that maybe there's there's concussing yourself before game there's uh yeah there's there's uh some questions as to whether he's he's was quite ready to take over a program of of that much uh that big a spotlight so fair fair concerns to voice on that one
1: all right uh so we actually have a late ad. Qu- we have a couple more questions here. But uh, uh, Megan uh, actually asks in, in the Patreon comment section, we just saw this come through on email. What's your latest Louisiana hot sauce take uh, on what are you hearing about the uh, moving college ball season from fall to spring? Yahoo Sports had an article today with an interview with Lincoln Riley who expressed a lot of doubts, I believe, about you know playing, uh, playing ball this fall. I, look, I know on 24-7 Sports, we reported... Think in early April that like one of the contingency plans was moving to to play in you know in, in January, and I interviewed Michael Kelly uh, for twenty four seven sports social distance, and he was like, "Look, we could play the championship game in April. Now, I don't think we want to play it in May or June, but like we could play this thing in late April, no problem. Like it's been a contingency plan. I just don't think a lot of schools are." really all in on moving to that right now like we're not going to get an announcement on the college ball season i don't think until the very end of july now they're saying right now we're probably going to get one in mid-july but anchor my guess is with the way these testing numbers are going they're going to push this back as far as they possibly can because they want to play these games in the fall and even if it looks bad I don't think they'll announce, hey, we're, we're going to go ahead and play in, in spring for quite a while. I think they'll probably say, hey, at this point, we're going to evaluate. Like, if, if stuff continues to be really bad testing number-wise, they'll probably say something like, hey, we're, we're going to you know continue to evaluate this to decide whether we're going to start the season, like October 1 or, or January 1, blah, 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 blah. And if they started October 1, as we had in that report, uh, they could easily play some of their makeup games in December, so uh, good question, Megan. And obviously, if you got this far in the show, you know we also kind of talked about it uh, to open the show. We have what, three more left tonight, Michael, uh, BC, and Chris. So I, I, I say we make this thing a marathon episode, man. Celebrate! We, we got a, a two-year commitment on, on on a sponsor for Legendary Home Loans. Let's let's go ahead and give the people what they want and
0: go uh, go well over an hour here. Absolutely, nothing but a nothing but a great success story with uh, with those guys starting out creating their own little thing and uh, so happy that they're able to join us and make this a legendary podcast oh so much cheese uh anyway the idea of a one-time transfer rule has always bothered me michael writes not in the least because it doesn't address some of the main concerns or excuse me it doesn't address some of the main transfer rule concerns what if the player has legitimate reasonings for transferring more than once how would it affect the game? What do you think about a rule that allows all transfers but enacts the one-year sit-out rule if the player substantially participated at the end of the season? For football, this could be 20% of the snaps in the last two of the final four games. Um, he says that you have to think about the cupcake games there. The NCA certainly needs to remove this ridiculous restriction on players, but I'm curious as to alternatives to a one-time transfer rule.
1: What is michael like what is the significance in your mind of his suggestion of
0: making guys who played at the end of the year sit out? I think that's uh maybe a suggestion that the you know for most teams, some of their more important games are stacked at the end of the year, and so it's a reflection of need or or how much they really participated. I'd be a real hesitant to put any kind of window on this because coaches will just manipulate the hell out of it and find a way to get around it so. Uh, that would be my initial comment on this, that if you say it's limited to the Final Four games, well, coaches will figure out a way to game the game the system there. The idea of the one-time transfer, I mean, it's a step in the right direction from where we were five or ten years ago, certainly. Uh, I, I know it's not a, a perfect situation, but um, you don't really want college football to be free agency where you play one year, move another one, and then maybe you know by year three, you've played for three institutions. It's tricky. and. I'm all for giving as much, uh, as much freedom to the student-athletes as possible, but I, I don't think you want a situation where you, know, you basically have people putting themselves out on the transfer market at the end of each year to try to see you know, where they're going to go spend their next 12 months.
1: I, I would agree with you. My, my, my whole take here is like, look, if these guys are not employees, don't put freedom of movement restrictions on them. That's just not going to – ultimately, that, that, that's not going to end well. I don't particularly love Mike Michael's suggestion about the the two of the last four games. I would agree with you as far as the the the, manip, you know, the possibility for exploitation by by coaches. There, I just think you should be able to have open transfers. I think it would it would make coaches treat treat the kids a lot better. You know what I mean? Like if you have to keep your kids happy overall, you're probably not going to have situations like you're having at a lot of the schools out there right now. You know, like you're going to have to make sure that the kids. Are are still happy. You ever watch Mad Men? From episode one to the last one. Absolutely. Everyone. You know when Peggy's complaining that she doesn't get any uh, any recognition? And Don's and, and Don that's what the money's for? That's what the money's for. Now that's not a great management style, <laughs> obviously, but but that works a lot better if you are actually managing employees. Right, if you don't if you're not actually paying these people a salary you kind of got to keep them happy and right now you don't really have to keep them all that happy because like they have to go sit out for the most part if they transfer but if you go to open transfers you do have to run your program a little more player friendly a little more student athlete friendly um, and you'll still have some transfers just because pure playing time stuff but uh, I, I think ultimately we would see which which programs the kids are, are truly happy at uh, and, and which ones they're they're not happy at if you did do that BC asks, uh, "How does the current movement compare to the 2015 University of Missouri protests? Uh, although student bodies were involved for a couple of weeks uh, in bringing about change, once the football team threatened to not play and cost the school a million bucks, the president resigned within 48 hours. So, I mean, this is a really interesting question. I, I'm not going to lie, man. Like, I, I remember kind of what happened with, with with the Missouri protests, but I wasn't covering that specifically for my job." Uh, I'm not trying to dodge this question. I I think generally, like what's going on right now is uh, a lot more broad based and in, impacts a lot more uh, players than the more specific incidents that the students at Missouri were were complaining about at the time. Uh, that's my guess. I, I so far we haven't seen any indication that like university presidents or even head coaches are are going to lose their jobs over this stuff. Maybe a coordinator, you know, certainly we've already seen a strength coach at Iowa. Uh, but overall, I mean, I, I don't know, man, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't really have a great answer for,
0: but we we try not to dodge questions here. It's a good question. Um, so I'll, I'll speak to a broader sense here that like, I don't know. So let's go to the, let's go to the real easy talk of Mississippi changing their flag. Um, I don't know if that happens, if some of the player talk of not playing football takes place, or at least let me put it this way. It gives a lot of people who maybe wanted to change the flag, um, some cover to do it. And certainly when you have college athletes come in uh, or college athletes talking to their coaches and coaches come into the state Capitol building, um, that it, it gives them some cover to initiate change that maybe they otherwise would have wanted to do. Um, I'll just be real honest with you guys and you, bud. My best friend growing up, we kind of parted ways when I was 13 or 14 and not, and I need to go into, you know, find relationships with people as a, as a youngster. But his dad was, uh, was the governor, Lieutenant governor of, of Georgia at the time. And he changed the state flag and he would have certainly liked if some athletes would have, uh, you know, if there would have been some kind of broader change to go about doing that. It just, uh, was not easy to do, two days ago and wasn't easy to do 20 years ago. But I think like the idea of uh, Kalen Hill and the Mississippi State players who were involved in kind of maybe putting a little bit of gasoline on that fire is an inclination that some of the change and some of the power that student athletes can leverage. And um, that's probably the the best reference that I can give to something recently has taken place uh, to kind of, Bounce off what happened in 2015 with Missouri.
1: I I think, I think that's really good. All right, let's uh, l- let's get out of here on this one. Uh, Chris asks uh, with Swafford announcing his retirement. That's John Swafford, the ACC commissioner, who a couple of days ago announced he'd be retiring. Uh, how do you think a new head of the ACC could benefit Florida State? Uh, it seems Swafford hasn't been the biggest fan of Florida State. Is that true? Do you think Swafford has not been a big fan of Florida State?
0: I think that Swafford is a <laughs> a, kind of like the embodiment of old ACC, if you will. You know, he's a guy who played basketball at UNC. He's, uh, he's a product of the triangle. He's. It would be good to have a new train of thought in there, I would think. Some of the stuff that happened with the third-tier rights is still handcuffing programs, you know, 10 years later. And that was something that got a lot of people all fired up when that took place. I think that there is some new thought that could take place and have a better idea as to some of the brands that have been brought into the conference over the last 20 years. And, and at the same time, I have to give Swafford credit for for some of the teams that he is, he's brought in, and uh, the Notre Dame situation isn't perfect in my opinion, but it certainly breathed a lot of life into the ACC and locally, when you talk to you know local business owners, whether it be Florida State, Clemson, wherever, like when Notre Dame comes to town, it's the best It's the best year they've had. It's the best single weekend they've had in 20 years and stuff like that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I've said this for a long time. I think it's a travesty that Florida State and Georgia Tech don't play more frequently. I mean, that you know Clemson is certainly a larger brand in the last uh, three years, but that historically has been your biggest brand and your biggest media market. Why would you not have those two playing? I mean, I think Florida State's played three times since 2003 that's that's foolish so um, I think there's some some new ideas that can be put into the conference I'm fascinated to see the direction uh, as to where the ACC goes when I talk to people across the conference everybody thinks that John Swafford's not a real big fan of him which is probably just an inclination of somebody doing their doing their job well but for a long time Clemson thought that Swafford hated him and you know would would go out of their way and there was a a measurement about 20 years where, in my opinion, he was wildly, overly punitive and uh, punished Clemson in a manner that would never be able to get away with now. But that's uh, another talk for another conversation. So I think just a, a better idea as to how to manage some of the brands um, realignment within the conference or maybe a better pod system as to the rotation of who plays who and when. But I don't know that John Swafford necessarily has an axe to grind with the ACC or, excuse me, with Florida State. I would agree with that. All right, we got a kid now with Bama Banks. This is uh, Bud watching so Luke Altmyer at the Elite watch. 11 for those uh, who are wondering as to who he was referencing with with Bama Banks. Well, he did fairly good on his first couple throws. Ooh,
1: nice, nice little dime on the fade. Behind on the crosser, bad throw. A little bit of mixed bag so far, but not bad. Well, dodges the pressure, rolls left. Uh, I think it's actually a pretty good throw. The receiver dropped it, but you got local like high school receivers here. So fairly good ball rolling to his left on an outbreaking route. They grade the throws basically zero, one, two, three. Zero is uncatchable. One is like off-target, but possibly catchable. Two is like a you know, okay, decent throw, and then three is like like a dime. You put it like right exactly where it's supposed to be. Five-step drop, dodge, reset the feet. Got it. A little bit of wobble on the ball there, basically on on a corner route. Decent ball. Drop here. A little bit of slip, avoiding the pressure. That's a zero. Could have been uncatchable on the deep end cut. A couple kids have slipped tonight. It did rain there earlier, so he's not the only one slipping, if you guys are wondering. I'm commentating this, because I don't know that this is going to be available later on the Instagram Live. Nice little ball on a slant. You know, came out on time. The main thing I'm looking for here are how the ball comes out of your hand Uh, ball placement like it should be really good 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 ball there another outbreaking route Uh, they're not really showing me the whole route so I'm not able to tell exactly what all these routes are so I'm saying outbreaking route obviously because I don't know exactly if it's a you know an out or corner necessarily on some of these nice ball there I think on the uh, on the deep corner route some changes they've made to this recently at Elite 11 and I don't get a whole lot out of the Elite 11 stuff I really like I like to know what you do in games but it is nice to kind of compare a bunch of people's arm strengths after they all go that's a miss by Altmaier rolling to his right. Fires high. It looks like he's, like he's going to run a little RPO type thing here. There you go. Nice throw by Altmaier. little rail shot. I don't know what he's going to get on that one. The receiver dropped it. I think it was a little high and right. He's, he's, he's had a couple of misses high and right tonight. And then a ni- nice rail shot. So on this last one, he's going to read Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer's uh, acting like a safety. Obviously, Dilfer's pretty old now. So should be able to read this one pretty good. Good ball. Close to finishing out here for Altmeyer. Top scores so far have been McCord with 45, May with 40, Moss with 38. Anything over 40 is a, is a pretty good score. And then uh, another miss to the right by uh, by Altmeier. Too many zeros and ones, I think, to be one of the top guys here based on the night's performance. Obviously, he didn't make it in the top, you know, top uh, on day one. Still think he's a pretty good quarterback. A couple guys have, have struggled tonight. You know, worse than he is. and a nice and a nice ball to finish it out. I think we'll get a two on that one. So we'll see how many points he gets here from the uh, the elite eleven guys. Altmyer's critiquing himself pretty hard ahead. here. A bit, right?
0: You know, think what this
1: night would be like. You know, what on the script and we sent you kind of the script beforehand to work on. What do you think you did really well? Uh, I think I hit a couple. uh like That deep corner, I thought I hit that well. I think on my rollouts, I hit those well. The deep ones. uh I thought I struggled down here a little bit. It's yeah, been kind of throws. It is what it is. He's got a couple good ones too. So, yeah. Your dad got to get up there watching tonight. Yeah, got yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. Okay, kind of like it, man. Alt kind of kind of pissed at himself. You can tell. You know, like like he's not he's not into all this. Like, hey, what what'd you do right, really well type things. He's focused yeah. on those throws he missed. We'll see what Alt gets. He, I, I think he throws the ball pretty well. The arm strength is not great. It's not terrible. The main thing I think we're going to get out of you know, just after watching it more and more is, is just the, the quick release, the quick decisions, which I, I think plays pretty well in today's college game. So Altmire got a, uh, got a 30. It's going to be one of the lower scores of the night.
0: All right, guys, I think that will uh, guys and girls uh, that that will bring about an end to this episode of the Nullcast. as always. Uh, thank you very much to uh, our listeners for both the support that they give our sponsors and the support that they give us via, uh, a listen or a written review uh, f- five stars on, on Apple Podcasts or whatever it may be uh, we'll have another podcast out in the next uh, week or so uh, but until then, thank you to, uh, to all of you from myself and Bud and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon This has been the Knollcast. The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.